I'm co-host James Ash. And I'm co-host Phil Scaife. Welcome to The Business Lockdown. It brings me great pleasure to welcome on today's show, Paul Spence from Paul for Brain Recovery. Now, we have had the pleasure of interviewing some amazing people on this show, and um, I don't feel it's unfair to say uh, that welcoming Paul, a friend of mine, uh, has the most inspirational story, certainly from my point uh, over the years. Uh, unfortunately, Paul was injured in an unprovoked attack back in 2012 in Hull, East Yorkshire. A mistaken identity, and Paul go a little bit more into that and his journey before, during, and since, uh, which is phenomenal. So be prepared to be inspired today, listeners and viewers. Uh, it was actually a, 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 day, a friend and I, Ricardo and I, were back from Manchester in a taxi from a gig, and we got a call, and we were told what had happened and how serious it was, and we were getting, a, I think, another call had come through and another call, and... Um, it was just horrific, really. And actually, what, like, my friends were um, with a band in the bar that night. John and Jen, who were playing a band called We Ghosts, were in the bar on that night, and it all got closed down. And I even got inside, I remember the insight from them and the, the seriousness of it all. And, um, you know, proper Phoenix from the Flame story, uh, you know, facing adversity, coming through some of the most difficult times we can imagine. Uh, with a, with, a, with some unbelievable missions and finding himself on uh, never never stepping foot in a gym to being on the front cover of Men's Health magazine. I mean, if that doesn't give you a snippet into uh, this inspirational guy and his story, I'm not sure well. Paul Spence, welcome. It's Thank an absolute you. pleasure. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you. Nice to see you, Phil. Uh, thanks, James. Well, how... How are you, mate? I mean, we, we caught up briefly the other day and you asked how I've been and I give it you know, a summary over the past 18 months, which have been some big changes in my life. And I purposely put the brakes on uh, so, so I would find out, uh, you know, naturally, authentically uh, on this episode and for our um, listeners and viewers. So, I mean, how are things at the moment? I know there's been some, some trials and tribulations recently with yourself. And, and then let's, let's go back to, uh, you know, to that kind of... That, that, that horrible incident back in 2012 and how it's changed your, your life and those around you. Yeah, so should we, should we start there then? Start in 2012. Yeah. Attack without provocation, um, just wrong time, wrong place. Uh, I went out with um, some friends uh, just on Princess Avenue and went to a bar. And we, we actually went to Garbutt's, I think it was. Went in there, had a drink, and then we were moving on. I mean, mum actually came to Garbutt's with my stepdad. So my brother and I stayed there. The lads moved on. We had a drink with my mum. It was a bank holiday weekend, so it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and we went on to find the, my friends. Actually, my brother, he, he flagged the taxi. And we were about to get in it. And I said, no, no, let's go find the lads. So we, ne- we, were, we very nearly didn't you know, nearly go in Pave, which is where they were. And things would have been very different if we hadn't done, obviously. My life would have been very different. But we didn't get in that taxi. We said, no, we'll go, see, we'll go catch the lads. And uh, we'll, we'll all go together to town. And so I went in Pave. I don't remember this, any of this, by the way, obviously, due to the injury. And I've got very, uh, about, even a month before this happened to me, I don't remember anything. So this has all been made up from friends, family, and uh, evidence in, in the court. So I went into Pave, and the friends were there, and they were supping up, you know, ready to go. And I said, I just need the toilet. So I went through the crowd into the loo. It was packed in Pave. 
unbeknownst to my friends, unbeknownst to myself, there was some friction with some other lads at the other end of the bar. And as I literally went into the toilet, door shut behind me, all hell broke loose. There were glasses getting thrown. I think someone got glassed in the leg. Um, stools getting thrown, like a, like a Wild West saloon. I was completely oblivious, obviously, in the toilet. And as I came out of the cubicle looking down, doing my buttons up, one of the people that started this fight walked in and for whatever reason, he just uppercutted me. I didn't see that coming at all. One punch, uh, hit me with force and I wasn't on balance, obviously. And I flew back with force and um, hit my head on the, on the ceramic floor. And he, this person ran off. And the, the, the people in the toilet were likened that impact to two snooker balls smashing together. They, they were frightened. You could see I was in big trouble. Um, unconscious and an ambulance were called and I was blue lighted to Hull Royal Infirmary with suspected brain trauma um, I had some scans and it proved that that was that was that was correct I'd had a frontal lobe uh, brain hemorrhage so as I'd gone back if you can imagine gone back and the ricochet from hitting the floor to you know your, your brain's just sat in that cerebral fluid the ricochet literally my brain is smashed into the front of my skull that bony ridgy skull and I'd um that bleed and uh, contusions, which are all bruising around the front of my brain and a very complex organ responsible for so much we all take for granted. And that was all compromised for me. I was taken to uh, Ward 414, neurosurgical ward. Um, I was unconscious for a few days. I woke up, my dad was actually bedside with me and he was delighted you know, to see me, my eyes open and I came to life. And then I immediately went into a seizure and my dad said I made a noise that will haunt him for the rest of his life. He, he thought I was dying. He, he thought that was it for me. I was rushed to intensive care, where I spent a week or so in the, in, in the ICU. Uh, thankfully, you know, I recovered. But, you know, got, got a bit better to be able to go back to the neurosurgical ward. And then I spent about six weeks, another six weeks on there, um, until I was clinically okay to go home. From what I remember, I had fantastic care in Hull Royal Infirmary. I couldn't praise them enough. Actually, you'll, you'll, you'll hear in a minute how, how much I was thankful for that and how much my friends and family were all thankful for that. They did something amazing to say thank you. And that's when, when I was discharged, that's when the real struggle began. Um, we were told that I would have a two to three year recovery and at the end, I would never be the same. So, that, you know, the brain is so complex, as I said earlier. There are very little um, answers as to how someone will recover. We're genetically all different. Although we've all got a brain, obviously. We're genetically all different. Your lifestyle choices and, and you know, your recovery journey, um, your coping strategies will all determine how you will heal and, and um, function going forward. And when I was at home, I immediately sort of... In fact, in the early days, I, I was in a, I was in a, in a daze. I just spent my days just sort of staring into space for minutes at a time. And I was completely oblivious again to this. I knew something was what wrong, but my understanding of life was just different, you know, and you can only function off what you've got. And so my brain was trying to repair itself and new neural pathways which were trying to be built. And I spent a lot of time um, just sort of walking around the house, pacing my hands together. I couldn't leave the house alone for the first four months of my recovery. I was just too confused. Not even to, to the local shop. And thankfully, I had lots of great friends and family that would come and, and care for me. And I think they, they were more frightened for me at that time. They, they saw the truth, but they was all sound of mind. 
they saw the true impact of the injury and what it had done to me. And I was just living very much in this bubble. Um, my relationship suffered, obviously, with my partner, with, with, with everybody, if I'm honest with you, and my children. They were looking at me thinking, where's active dad, the man we depend on? You know, who takes us here, takes us there, and we have activities with and who, uh, look, you know, cares for us. And there I was, a man who was just sort of very vulnerable, lost and confused, just staring into space. Um, love and affection had gone for me. I had no feelings to, to anything or, or anybody in early recovery. Uh, obviously, frontal lobe of your brain is emotions, it's personality, complex thinking, um, executive functions, you're planning, you're, you're organising, um, concentration, attention are all here at the front there. And so, and there was no answer if to any of that was going to come back, remember. So, you know, it's just, it's just one big, devastating um, situation for everybody. I was at the centre of a ripple and it was going out affecting everything and everybody in my life. Obviously, pre-brain injury, I'd been an electrical engineer. If I'm bouncing about a bit here, just try and keep up with me. No, that's not... <laughs> I'd been, I'd been an electrical engineer. I'd been an electrician since I was 16. I'd worked hard at school to get good grades. Well, sort of worked hard at school. And um, I'd got some decent grades, enough to get me an electrical apprenticeship. And I worked hard at college to, to, to become qualified. And then I worked hard to be, become an electrical engineer foreman. I was running uh, jobs at BP Chemicals, at Ricketts, um, and in the hospitals in the city. You know, 10, 20 guys, managing 10, 20 guys. Um, million pound contracts, very, very complex, you know, executive function sort of abilities. And, I, and, I, and if, you know, no, I'm not being boastful. I was good at it. I was good at my job. I had great relationships with the lads and I enjoyed it and I was well paid. And, and if I'm honest, I thought that would be my, my, my career forever. Obviously, after brain injury, I, I, I was, well, I was sat there staring out the window, sort of looking out, not even being able to go out alone to the shop, like I said. So that was that was difficult for my family, and the income was was changed. Um, everything around me was just different. If I'm honest with you, um, affected relationships, like I said. Yeah, because Paul, is it, what's the, what's the stat? There's an incredibly high stat of um, of people who suffer with brain injuries that that divorce, that split up. I mean, it's it's yeah, yeah there is there's a huge number of, of people who do split up after brain injury. I mean, obviously, acquired brain injury. There's 1.3 million people living with acquired brain injury in the UK, um, and there's, I think there's an acquired brain injury every 90 seconds in the UK. So, acquired brain injury. When we're talking stroke, brain tumor, brain trauma, which is obviously what happens to myself, um, aneurysm, and lots of other infections, meningitis, uh, encephalitis. So, it's any any damage to the brain after birth. So it's not congenital, or it's not degenerative, it's just, it's just damage you know, after birth. So um, there's a huge number of people who, who are struggling. And actually, it's not just the individual who is left struggling, it's everyone around them. Because like I say, you know, you, you rely so much, rely on your brain for everything. You know, everything we're doing now, we're moving, thinking, sort of planning, organising. Um, it's, it's keeping us functioning at our best. And once it's compromised, life is very different. And it's such a long recovery journey. Uh, and it comes with different challenges throughout, you know, brain recovery. I mean, I, I was lucky in some respects. I was unlucky what happened to me. I'm lucky I survived. 
And as I was going through my recovery journey, I was looking to be recovering. Some people, unfortunately, um, depends on the severity of their injury and where it is, have very, very limited recovery. After about sort of six months during my recovery, I, it was almost like a dimmer switch had been switched on. I started to have a bit more sort of thoughts. This was good, you know, I was always waking up, waking up from the fog, if you like. And I wanted to put that to good use. And I did this little circuit in my, in my living room. I did uh, three, three press-ups, three sit-ups, and three squats. And that was all I could manage at the time. You know, I was, it, was, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it was only a small circuit, but everybody has to start somewhere. And that's where I, that was it for me. And I felt good about that. Up until that point, I don't even think I'd have thought about what a press-up was. You know, I'm talking about my thinking was so minimal. You know, I was wandering around the house. I had no thought, you know, you just, you, you'll think about lots of different things, all these thoughts rushing through your mind about going to the shops for this, that, the other, or going here, going there. That, that was all gone. My man was so, you know, my man was so quiet. But I couldn't articulate this to anybody. It wasn't like I had a damaged brain. I, I, sorry, I, I was sound of mind. I had a damaged brain and I knew how it all worked. Because you just don't. You know, you just feel it's very alien. You sort of sat there thinking, I know something's wrong, but I can't quite put my finger on what it is. Because you can only function off what you've got. And the bit that's missing, it's not very it's not obvious to someone that's brain injured. You know, so it just adds to the dilemma, if I'm if I'm honest with you. And then and I was I was acting in certain ways, my behaviour was different with my family, with my friends, um, my thinking was different. But I couldn't tell people why. And they were maybe looking thinking why is he doing this or why is he doing that? That's not characteristic of Paul. But, but you know, I lost that damage. You know, that two to three year recovery at the end, you'll never be the same. I lost part of my identity I was never going to get back. You know, that was very difficult for people. I mean, people were <coughs> looking at me, the thankful that I'd survived, but they had to mourn somebody that was lost, gone forever. I mean, even my brother now, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll bounce back to where I'm, even my brother now would say, Mark, who was very close with, he would say, um, I am thankful for everything that I'm thankful you I'm thankful for everything you're doing, but you're not the brother I grew up with. So to him, mm. he lost, you know, he lost somebody. It's deep, deep, deep loss. But he had to go through years of wondering if I will get back there. You know, so that adds to his pain. Will, will, he, will, he, will he be yeah. able to... All these things. And, and he'll look at me and, and think about things that I wouldn't necessarily even think that he'll think. That's all his loss, isn't it? That's very personal mm. to him. So, and, and that would be the same for my mum, for Gemma, for, for everyone around me. But getting back to six months in, it's getting positive, and, and that, was, that was hard for everybody, more so my family and friends in the early days. Uh, than I, like I say, I was in, I was in that fog. Uh, and that's my brain injury was safeguarding me. I think brain injury does safeguard because if you saw the true extent of, and even today, it, it still safeguards me. If I, if, I, if I knew the true extent of my loss, I think it would send me insane. I do, yeah. I think it would, it would send me insane. Actually, and I'm, I'm, I feel like sometimes I'm on the cusp of, of that, actually. Not that I'm going to go insane, but I feel like I, <laughs> I, I've been a very good pre-brain injury. I, I was very, I was deep thinker, metacognition at work. I was thinking about, you know, the lads, where they was, what materials they needed. I, I, I like to be the best that I could be in myself. And I was, um, I want to say very spiritual, but I was just a really deep, I was a deep, Deep thinker, um, and I think that actually that trait of me, although it was different, it stuck with, it stayed with me. So even after mm -hmm. the injury, I was constantly sort of thinking about as and when I could. In the first year, I couldn't necessarily, but later on, 
as I was improving and recovering more so, I could think about why I was acting in certain ways. And it was important that I understood that, being the person that I was. And actually that's, um, that's, that's been good for me in terms of me being able to articulate to other people and to even clinicians and neuropsychologists now how it is to live with a brain injury. But the, I have often thought if I go too far with this and I really understand it and I really understand the loss, I think it could, I think it could go the other way for me and it would be very, very, you know, very negative. Yeah. So I've got to be careful how far I go with it. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, have we got a code word? It's like Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. And we'll, we'll move on. Yeah. Yeah. I remember sat with you. I think we were, um, we were with a group of friends at one point, Paul, and kind of on the opposite of what you've just said was there was at a point where people would then just take it that you were back to normal. Oh, yeah. And you, you would sit there and people wouldn't realise how you weren't able to piece certain things together. And you couldn't just sit there and understand it all. It was such an effort to yeah. keep on, like, semi on track with what people are talking about. But people didn't know that. And I remember yeah. I remember sat with you and, and giving insight into that. And it was just like, wow, it's, yeah. you know, it, it, it's easy to think that it's all back to normal again. And I remember you saying, you said, look, I might never be back to normal. And I'm like really certain how tiring it was to, to just do normal things and have, have normal conversations, day-to-day conversations with people. Uh, that, I, I remember that moment. That was just like, right, yeah, it's, you know, there's no bigger fight than, than what, what, was, uh, what was happening with yourself, within yourself. So, yeah, that, I, I do remember that. Um, Paul, what... Just give us a bit of insight to what happened um, with with the, with your attacker, because I mean there should be no greater deterrent for uh, for thinking that you know smacking someone one punch yeah. won't do severe harm, and it's a clear uh, clear example of that, and that should be the greatest deterrent. Certainly, the story you've just given us insight into, and, and and we'll continue in the, in this episode. But give us insight on what happened to to your attacker following the incident. So that we went to um, court and then he, he was sent to prison. Sent to prison. Mm-hmm. I, I can't. To be honest, I can't remember the exact um, the length of time he was sent to prison. At that time, if I'm honest with you, it didn't necessarily matter to me. I was. This was about uh, 18 months after the injury when when we went to uh, Crown Court, and I, I I just wanted to be to be, to be finished. I'd very I had to be very resource, resourceful for how I was. A lot of people who say to me, are you angry towards the person that did it? And I've never been angry, ever. I've never been Because I knew that I had very limited, limited energy. I struggled a lot with neurofatigue. And I had to use my mind space wisely. Just intuitively, I always knew that. And even today, I still know that. And I knew that wasting my time and energy on thinking about someone that had done wrong to me was never going to do me any good. It, it wasn't productive. And so yeah. I always just left that. So at the time, when we went to court, yeah, justice was served. He was sent to prison, and and obviously I could follow on with my recovery. And you know, there was obviously no winners that day. I'm sure that person hadn't gone out thinking I'm going to do this to somebody. And and you know, that time it had gone wrong for that person. He's you know, red mist, whatever it was. I'm not sure. Um, it landed obviously on someone that wasn't looking, and and, and had fall in with force. And so, and actually, you know, it could have been ended up very very uh, even. Worse than that, it could have ended up in tragedy and literally I could have died. And my family were told that in, in Hullwell Infirmary. And since I've been on my journey, as I was getting on to talking in schools about the one punch and, and other things, but I've sadly I've met 
mum, a mum from Newcastle, and other people who, whose loved ones have passed away. So they've, they've ended up in in a, in a hospital like like myself, and they haven't pulled through. They've slipped, you know, slipped away, and, and um, they're not here to tell tell the tale. And so a lot of what I do, which I'm going to talk about, is not only for people affected by acquired brain injury, but people that aren't here to sort of say, mm-hmm. you know, and fight for themselves and tell how it is for them. And so that's what I'm raising awareness is, is for those people as well. You know, you know, rest in peace, all of them. And um, if I can do anything on behalf of them, if they was here, they'd have a chance. They would do what I'm trying to do. I know they would. So, you know, it's for those as well. There have been a, a number of campaigns, haven't there, on the on the one um the, is it the one 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 kill punch? What's the one punch yeah, killer? Like? Australia, there's a killer. I think is it the killer punch or something they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's all different terms for for different um, areas of the world. But yeah, it's a it's a problem. It's a problem everywhere. A king punch, the king punch. That's what they, they call it. Right. Australia, yeah. Um, which is nothing. There's that, that's just completely ridiculous. There's nothing king about something. You know, when we think of King, that's, you know, a uh, high figure. And even at that term, is, is completely wrong to, to even mm. attach it to something so dreadful in the way what it can do to somebody. Um, you know, even, you know, we're talking, obviously, acquired brain injury, death, acquired brain injury. And, you know, even just uh, breaking someone's jaw or just really, you know, disfiguring them or anything. It's just, it's just completely reckless, manless, and it just doesn't need to happen. Um and so hopefully what, what I do, and I know there's other people that work tirelessly around the world trying to raise awareness of One Punch and the implications, not only on, on, on the uh, victim, but on the, on the attacker. Like I said, there's no winners. He went to prison, so his life was ruined through, through that mindless act. And um, other people will also um, you know, go through that. And it, I can't imagine any human would want to do that to somebody else. You know, not unless you're complete. Uh, nut job or something, you know, you're not good to want to, to, want to are you? It's just something that's gone wrong in the heat of the moment. So if I can, if I can raise that awareness, help people to think, uh, and, and obviously try and, and practice uh, some emotional intelligence, you know, breathe, breathe your way out of that situation. Um, and when we, you know, people when you're young, especially, you know, you get into these confrontational situations with your friends and everything else, we know how it all feels. But it's about just being calm in that moment and thinking, can I um, live with myself if this goes wrong? And, and you know, that's why I try to get people into that way of thinking. Have them breathing techniques, walk away. Um, yeah. that's, that's something that I've been doing doing recently, but I'll jump back to, the, jump back to the recovery and I'll take you... I was going to say, it sounds, like, it sounds yeah. like, your, like your journey, like it's, it's quite a, there's a lot of positivity in your journey since, since the incident. And you started to talk about your... Your little circuit in your lounge with your, your three press-ups and three squats. And so I just wanted to see see where that took you because you've you've alluded to something at the beginning of the chat. And uh, I want yeah. to say, uh, yeah, where where does that head? So yeah, so that, so, so this time, so pre, just going just in that six months sort of pre, previous to that. So I just I, I had a stutter, um, I had traumatic labyrinthitis. I'd started my neuropsychology um, at, at Castle Hill which was one hour a week with a neuropsychologist. I was very lucky to get a neuropsychologist. There was only one in the city at that time. Um, there's a lottery who gets to see her, which I'll talk to you about later on. And I, and I was fortunate to, to um, have a, um, therapy with Selene um, Osman, she's called, not Selene Ackman, she's called Osman now. Uh, an amazing, amazing, amazing lady. And so um, 
speech impediment, sort of traumatic labyrinthitis. I was very slow cognitively, but I, I started this circuit and it, it just felt wonderful. And so I started doing this over the next few weeks. And then I was actually, I was readmitted into Hull Royal Infirmary because every time I looked up, I sort of started shaking. And the, the thought it was some swelling on my brain from the impact of the fall. And they said it would go away. Well, actually, it never. And, and, and at this time, I, 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 had, I had four months where I couldn't go out alone. And I just started this little circuit. I, I sort of plucked up the courage and the energy and, and sort of to go to the local shop on my own. And then actually, I went to town on my own, which was a huge step on my journey. You know, I was, I was very, at this point, I was starting to be very aware that I was slow and I was very vulnerable. But I got on that bus to town. It was one of the biggest steps for me. I, you know, I'd ever, I'd ever take. I got on the bus to town. And I got to town and I, I quite, felt quite frightened because I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. But I, I didn't know why at the time. I'll be able to tell you why in a minute. But I just knew that I was short on thinking. That's all I knew at the time. And I, had a, I, had, um, I had a poor memory and I was, I was confused a lot. But I knew I had to do this. I had to go back out into the world. You know, I couldn't hide behind closed doors. It was important for me and for my journey. I had to be brave. And so I did that. But what, what I did was I, I had a... a, a uh, a bottle of water, whatever it was, and I was walking along, and I had this drink, and I started staggering through town, and it was a tr it was it was this feeling when I look up, I started shaking, and so I was readmitted into back into Hull Royal Infirmary because actually, I wasn't sure if when I'd been hit, the impact had knocked a vein off course, and when I was putting my head like this, it was um, snagging it, and the blood the, the blood flow was stopping, or I'd done something to my neck, one of the bones in my neck or something. There was, I had all sorts of scans because they just couldn't figure out what it was. I was in there for about two days. I felt quite deflated, if I'm honest, lads. I felt mm. like I started this little circuit at home. I, I, I'd, gone, I'd gone back out to town on my own and I felt like I was almost getting somewhere. You know, I was, trying to, I was starting to rebuild my life. And then I was, I was sitting on a Royal Infirmary for a few days and then I had a, 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 a wonderful neurologist called Dr. Ming. Or Mr. Ming, sorry, Mr. Ming. And he determined it had been traumatic labyrinthitis, which is the inner ear canals. And it had sent right. by the impact of the fall, the impact of the, you know, the, the um, injury. And there was all, um, yeah, they'd been inflamed. And so they'd set all my balance structures off place. And when I was looking up, it was sending me out. And they just, they just I had some medication that sort of told me that I'd have to, it would go on for a while, but it, hopefully it would repair itself. But at least I had some answers. And when I got home, I felt really deflated. I sort of sat and sitting there and I thought, what am I going to do with myself? This is naff. I was about, seven, about six, seven months in. And I was thinking about the two to three year recovery and all that. And I thought about, I felt myself sort of slipping into a bit of sort of depression, if you like. As I said earlier, in the early recovery, I had no emotion at all to anything. But I could feel this overwhelming sense of like sort of darkness. And I knew it wasn't good for me. And I thought about the circuit that I'd done in my living room and the circuits I had been doing after, over the next few weeks. And I thought, I need, to, I need to continue with that. And so I did. You know, I pulled myself back, did that. And then a couple of weeks passed and I, I was feeling good again about that. And I, and I went to, I thought, I need to go join the gym. This is what my next step. And so I went to the gym. Luckily, at the time, I was living near Beverly Road and around the corner from um, Fitness First. Mm -hmm. it, was only a walk, it was only a walk away from me. It was really handy, obviously. I couldn't drive. I'd, I'd had to send my driving license back to the VLA. And um, 
I, I went to the gym and I was stood there for about 20 minutes, just not wanting to go in. I just, I, I didn't. You know, I was anxious. I was vulnerable. And in early recovery, he said to me, are you all right, Paul? I could sort of like stare at you for sort of a few seconds at a time. And it could be quite um, uncomfortable for someone who didn't know my situation, you mm -hmm. know, because I was processing information. Or, you know, what day it is, I might look frightened at you because I might have thought, I don't know. So it, it was just strange, you know. So, and I was thinking about going in there and I thought, what if people ask me something or talk to me? I thought, I'm, I, how am I going to be able to engage in conversation? I don't feel very confident in myself. And I stood outside, but I just knew, I just knew intuitively this, I had to do this. And I plucked at that courage, and thank God I did. And that was, it was the smallest step into that gym, one small step, but one huge step in, in terms of what it would go on for, you know, for me and how I would develop. And when I, got, when I went into the gym, I sort of looked around, and my memory was so poor, I was just sort of found myself sitting on machines and thinking, I almost don't know what to do. So, yeah. <laughs> and um, I just sort of get there and I stand there and do like the obvious sort of, you know, maybe doing some bicep curls or something, but I thought, I can't come and do this every day. And so I thought about getting a personal trainer to help me. And I knew I, knew, I, knew I needed some guidance and, and some support in the gym. And what I did was I, I, I arranged to see a personal trainer. And just before my first session, in that six months, when, when I'd been doing, since I'd started these little circuits at home, I'd, Gemma had been buying, my partner Gemma had been buying me some men's health magazines. I think she just thought she was helping in some way. And, you know, to, to, to sort of help me develop my circuits at home and things like that. And I had taken an interest. I, I, was, I wasn't so good with reading stuff because I'm processing information again. But I was looking at pictures and I got the gist of what it was trying to tell me, you know. And it was helpful. Um, and just before that se first session with my personal trainer, I got Gemma to take a photo of me. I said, Gemma, take a photo of me. I mean, at the time, I was like a little bag of bones, really. Because, you know, I was malnourished and I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't looking very well at all. I, I, I'd... My eating habits weren't very good at the time. I, my personal care, if I'm honest, probably weren't very good. You know, that regular routine and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, so I just sort of wasted away. And uh, so when I asked Gemma, she said, what, well, don't take a photo before. I stood there in my, in my pants. And I said, I'm going to be in men's health. And I think she thought the injury sent me bonkers, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? What do you mean, Frank? And I was just like, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to be in that men's health magazine you've been buying me. And she, 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 I was like quite adamant. I said, take this photo. And I told my personal trainer, and I think he also thought that I'd gone bonkers. <laughs> but, you know, for me, what I thought is, strangely, I, if I can, I'm going to go for this long recovery. If I can get into men's health later in my recovery, it'll be a, a message of hope and helpful inspiration to other people at the start of their recovery. And, I, and to be honest, lads, I didn't realistically know if I could achieve that. But just thinking that became such a positive influence on my recovery. And actually, I think it saved me, if I'm, if I'm honest. Um, because yeah. I put everything into it. Such a, such a positive um, focus along a very negative recovery. Because day in, day out, all my thinking was, I was just, I was just crap at thinking. I was forget stuff. I'd forget, I'd forget to lock the door. I'd forget to turn the toaster off. I'd forget to do this. I'd forget to do that. And, and, it, and and when I thought about things, I had a conversation. It was just hard work. Any choice? Do you want, do you want on TV? I would just look at you like the million. It was like a million dollar question. I was like, I don't know, because it was just tough. And so when I went to the gym, 
and I was getting told to do this, do that, and I and I was almost good at it. You know, I was good at sort of you know just pumping iron or going for a little walk on treadmill. And I had to start small and and build that up. But it was so positive, and obviously the, you know naturally in the back, you know. Um, chemically, you know, endorphins and everything else was so good for me and it was actually nourishing me and making me feel good. I had to, I'd obviously have to be aesthetically pleasing if I was going to get in men's health. So I had to go on a certain diet. And when I was eating these foods, I did start, you know, start showing results. I was putting all my effort into this. I'm a very dri- I was a very driven person anyway, pre-brain injury, and thankfully that had stayed with me. And I was putting everything in. I'd look forward to my gym sessions. I'd work really hard and, and then I would go home and eat good foods. Um, and what I thought is when I was sort of starting to look, look, look a bit better is, it's all right looking good, but really needs to be feeling good on the inside as well. And what about nourishing my brain? I was feeling good from the, from the training, but I thought even deeper than that. And I thought about, you know, this nourishing of, of my, my brain and giving it the, the, the help it needed. I was on a lot of medication at the time. And I thought, how oh, can I help it in a natural sense? So my family and I started researching uh, foods that would, that would aid, you know, my, my brain function and just, you know, just put function all, all as one in, in all systems. And we found some brain healthy ingredients. My family would go out and buy these and, and I would go out and buy these um, ingredients and put them in my meals. It gave them good feeling that was helping me because actually there was only certain things that could help me with and, and actually preparing good food was one of those, one of those things. So I was working hard. I was eating well, working hard in the gym, eating well. As I was recovering more, it was a good thing, you know. And, and looking back, it was I was I'm I'm so thankful for, for recovering like I have. And I had more man space. I, I had some. I could sort of uh, understand things better because previously my understanding of life was very different as well. So I could understand things better. The only consequence of repair was, was depression. Right. You know, as you can imagine, it's almost like I'd come out the fog and sort of thought, my life's in pieces. And it had been in pieces from day one. I'd just not been able to see it. So that started really affecting me. I'd gone back to work. Um, my neuropsychologist just has said, you'll never be a foreman again at work. And we're not sure you'll be an electrician due to the wide range of knowledge, uh, complex thinking, fault finding, and obviously memory. You need to have a good memory when you're electrician turning stuff off. Otherwise, you're going to hurt somebody. <laughs> and um, she said, we're not sure. I just have to go on the recovery journey and see how it's going to be. Uh, I, I sort of spoke to the gaffer. And um, I, was, I, was on the, I was on the bones of my ass. If I'm honest, lads, I had no money. Obviously, well, you, 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 you went from, I think I remember right, you went from foreman level to basically being an apprentice, right? Yeah. And yeah. And it wasn't just it wasn't just the, the increase uh, the the difference of level, but it was. I remember you saying it was the feeling that you were like a spare part, that you were just there because people wanted to yeah. kind of care for you. you. You didn't feel any kind of worth in term, in a professional capacity. That was. I remember that was really tough to to, to talk with you about that. Now that's a well, actually difference, isn't it? You know, you've got that you've got that achievement of right. You're going back to work, so it's just kind of like. A step forward and then two steps back because you were at such a different level and you feel you've been carried in. Yeah, that must be must have been difficult. Yeah, it was. It was me. And you know, you know, I've gone from the strongest link to the weakest. I was, I was the person that you probably wouldn't want on site, to be honest with you. But I've been good, to, <laughs> and I, I can laugh about it now. You know, and, and the, 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 the trouble is with brain injury is 
if you, you, you know, you're at work, you know your place at work, you, you break your arm, or you have, an, you have an illness, or you have an injury, and you generally you repair, and you go back and you carry on. Well, actually, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't the case for myself. I was never going to be able to carry on like I was, ever. I, knew, I wasn't mm. sure at what capacity I was going to be able to, to reach it and, and what, I could, what I could do. And so, really, I probably, it was, I went to, back too early for, for a start, and I, and I advise yep. everybody now at the Brain Recovery Centre not to do that. Because, um, I think it's just a thing of wanting to get back into normal life, and like I say, your, your skin, you, you, know, you, know, you, you know you're different, but you just want to prove to yourself that you can do it. And, and you know, the person that I was, I was like that anyway. So I wanted to get back to some normality, Actually, when I got when I did get back, it probably wasn't how I felt. How I was I was struggling every day. Um, I I only managed half a day a week at first, if I'm honest with you. When I got on site, the noises from all different directions and all the multiple conversations was really was really difficult for me to process. Actually, I felt quite frightened, if I'm honest, lads. When I was at right. work, I felt frightened and I felt vulnerable. And my brother was with me, Mark, so we worked together. So he was with me. He used to, he used to come and pick me up because I couldn't drive, obviously. And um, so they, he had my back. And all the lads, I'd been a real good form. And luckily, I'd been a good formant to lads. And rightly so. I'd been a good form to lads. I'd always looked after them. You know, I'd let them go early if they needed to. If there, if there was a family problem, I'd, you know, go away. I'll let you book the hours. Don't worry about it. I, I was good. I was good to them. And we were a team. You know, like a, like, you know, a band of brothers. We were like a family, grafted day in, day out of each other, and we supported each other, and that's the that's the sort of um, the culture that I wanted within my team. And so when I went back, they really had my back. They looked after me, um, and it helped a lot. It helped, it helped and, it, and it, all, 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 as I was recovering, as I was getting my feelings back, it sort of um, sort of broke my heart as well. You know, like apprentices that I broke up, brought brought up throughout the uh, throughout their time. Sort of four or five of them, I was sort of scratching my head and looking at them and saying, I don't know what to do. And I could see it was breaking their heart as well, that for mm. them to be having to sort of tell me what to do. And I was forgetting my tools, simple jobs of sockets and lights, just stuff I wasn't even doing anymore. You know, I was more reading drawings and all the complex stuff. I was having to go back to basics, forgetting my tools, jobs that would take five minutes were taking me half an hour. Really, really difficult. And it was, it was a daily stamp on my sort of self-esteem and my pride but I just thought I'll just keep at this you know I'll just keep doing it and hopefully I'll develop and hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll get better but all, and just going back to your conversation your conversation earlier on James about um, keeping up with conversations with the lads and feeling part of the lads I was doing this with, with our you know circle with work but it was so difficult and, and I didn't Tell everyone how difficult it was necessarily at the time. Obviously, you know, confided in you at, at some stage, but there were times when I never did that, and actually, that was, I was my own worst enemy at certain times. Right. In early recovery, I couldn't explain why I was acting in certain ways. I couldn't articulate how I was feeling, even. But the, when I could, I never, and, and I'm not sure if it was just a instinct and a pride thing. If, if I was just trying to get on with it or prove to myself I could do it, but it didn't do me any favors. And obviously, I now I, I talked to that about. I talk about that at the Brain Recovery Centre to other people and encourage them to really open up and, and um, get the help they need. And so conversations while I was, when I was at work and the lads would be on about a certain time on site. And I, when I, they was all sort of sitting there laughing at the dinner hour and I was trying to keep up with them. But multiple conversations was hard for me anyway to compute. 
and I was trying to keep up and then they would say, do you remember? And sometimes I'd just nod and sort of, and just sort of blag it and say, yeah, but I never, I didn't have a clue. And that was deflating as well. And then when they'd mentioned something and I'd really sit there and I'd really try and think about what they were talking about. By the time I remembered and I said it, they'd start laughing and say, mate, well, that conversation finished 10 minutes ago. And so they didn't mean it. Like they didn't realise it. I'd go, oh, no, no. And I'd start laughing. But, it, you know, it was, it, it, you just felt useless. You just felt useless, worthless. And you was very good at blagging and nodding your head and feeling, trying to feel part of the group. But actually, he was very, very distant, very isolated. Um, and no one really knew, obviously, because my injury was invisible. You know, I was fortunate. I'd, my mobility was, was okay. It was always okay. Apart from when I, obviously, the traumatic labyrinthitis. But other than that, it was it was all cognitive and behavioural, uh, you know, um, emotional, and uh, executive the executive functions, as I said earlier, which people can't see. So as soon as people see you walking, talking, naturally think people will think you're all, you're all right. And it's not that I don't think people um, don't necessarily want to, but people have got their own stuff going on, their own world, and their own challenges. And the, the, life is so fast paced that. You know, not that they haven't got time for you, but when they don't understand something, especially, and when you can't articulate it, it, it where do you go from there? So yeah. I'm trying to work this out and, and, and just keep up at the same time. So, yeah, it's, it's just dilemma after dilemma. Um, well, my, my, so I, fall into, I, fall, I did fall into deep, you know, into deep depression. My, my exercise was actually saving me. It was the only one good thing that I was good at and that was helping me. I had some fantastic friends, obviously, that was all around me. Um, but they were just daily, them daily challenges were just grinding me down. My job was, was, was well, my career was looking less likely. I, I was going to be able to sustain that that job. And uh, one good thing we tried to do uh, to, on the year mark of the injury was uh, a half marathon. I challenged myself to do a half marathon. Um, my knees, my knees still um, cuss <laughs> you each morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I, I, in early recovery, there was one day when I worked out that I couldn't. I, I had my. Do you know your visual memory? Mm -hmm. I ask you guys to think about someone that you love or think about your house. You will see that. You know, I couldn't see anything. So that was blank. So I couldn't see nothing. Uh, you imagine how many visual memories you're passing through your mind constantly every day. And, I, and I, literally nothing. And when I spoke to neuropsychology, they said, we're not sure you'll get that back. Um, and so the, the birth of my son, for example, and you know, memories that you will, that will stick, visual memories, that you want to stay mm. forever. My childhood and everything else, school. So I knew who I was, but I just couldn't see anything. And when I was at the gym and I, I built up my confidence, I, I started doing some small runs around the block. You know, when I went to the gym, you know, I enhanced my training with some small runs. And actually, it was when I was running, and when Gemma had done a playlist and there was some music, some old tunes that I liked, I had flashes of images come back, and it was exercise and music that did that for me. And you imagine the feeling, you know, it was just... Wow. Yeah, it was just... It must have felt addictive, right? Unbelievable, honestly. I can't tell you how, how powerful that was for me at the time. And at the time, I probably didn't recognise it as much as what I would because I was short of my thinking. I, but, I, but, you know, I, looking back, it was, it was huge, a huge milestone. And I worked with my neuropsychologist with, 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 on different techniques of looking at photos, 
and then trying to sort of conjure up that image in my, uh, lots of other things, um, which was what I was doing. But that was that was that was that was awesome, and so I, just, I kept running because I wanted to see more stuff and and, you know, and hopefully help myself as much as I could <laughs> and the endorphins and everything else and the, the, this health and fitness lifestyle that I got into was helping me so much. It really was. Like I said, I believe it saved me. Um, and so, how did how did one half marathon turn into turn into creating a charity to having even a mascot within that charity? I remember there was one point I was coming through the city, and it's one of the big billboards by side of the uh, road with you on it and your logo, and I was like, amazing. And, and you've managed to, along the way, you managed to persuade a, a number of lads to have their kit off and um, the whole yeah, and, and charity calendars and stuff like that. But how, you know, just give me a bit of insight into that, that charity because it's just grown from strength to strength over the years to even having a, you know, you were backed by a businessman in the city, which then provided income, if I remember right, and you get your license back so you could drive and to building your own community, you know, give us a little insight into that. Well, so I'll try and do it in a, in a, I'll try and do it in a short way, in a nutshell, because I, I can just, I'll just talk forever about all the different things. So, um, on the first year, year anniversary, once I put to bed what happened to me, never want to look back on that day and always think about it, you know, in, in bad taste. So do something, do something good, support the, the hospital, obviously the people who would save me in early recovery, and um, create some new memories, you know, um, and, and positive ones with friends and family. I asked, I asked friends to run this half marathon with me and 70 amazing people got involved in that run. These people wouldn't generally run for a bus and there they were <laughs> training for this half marathon and we raised 17 grand, 17 grand for Hull Royal Infirmary, which was just amazing to be able to go there and, to go there and present that to, to the staff. Really, really, really unbelievable. And um, so my journey continued. Long story short, I, I ended up having some tests done at the two-year mark of brain recovery. They deemed that key attributes I needed for my job, I was unlikely to ever get better at. And they said to me, you need to leave. You tried, you tried in vain. You need, you need, to, you need to go. I, I'd got up to three days on site. I was still slow, if I'm honest with you. I could do it, but um, it, wasn't, it wasn't any good for me. If, if I'm it was a daily reminder with the injury. I said to my gaffer, I need to leave. He said, stay. You're well thought about the company. The lads will look after you. But I was hiding behind people. It just didn't, wow. feel, right. didn't feel right. At this time, um, obviously, I'd struggled with, with um, a relationship and, and, and friendships um, Friendships had faltered. You do get to know who your friends are, certainly, whilst you're going through recovery. And so there was a lot of pain, a lot of loss. But there was a lot of... I was just trying to make a, a good job out of a, a bad situation, really, with, with the run. I did, I did end up getting in men's health later on in the second year of recovery, which was, was, was fantastic. I sent a, a profile off. I'd, I'd worked hard um, to be aesthetically pleasing, but more importantly for me at the time, it was more I was feeling mentally. And that, you know, pre-brain injury, I'd always gone... If I had gone through a gym, I wasn't really a gym goer, but if I'd gone, it was probably just before I went on holiday or something like that, you know, just superficially and all that sort of stuff. But actually, now when I when I train and when I'm running and, and training, it's all for my mental health, you know, foremost and foremost. Mm -hmm. Everything else on the outside falls into place from there anyway. Uh, but I think a lot of people have got... It's a byproduct, right? Yeah, it's a byproduct. Byproduct, yeah. Um, and so I was learning lots whilst I was going through recovery. Like I said, at the two-year mark, I left work. 
and I was thinking to myself, what am I going to do with my life? And my recovery journey hadn't been helped by the lack of community support. I was blessed. In fact, I was privileged with a fantastic family and great friendships that had helped me. I know that everybody's got that. And so I was thinking about people that maybe were struggling. I thought, I can't be the only one that sat here. I've lost my job and my whole world just crumbled around me. There must be the people that I can talk to. And so I, did, I decided to do a timeline of my recovery. It was giving an insight into how it is to live with a brain injury, ways in which I was acting in early recovery. I couldn't explain then. I could now. I felt that might be helpful for the people. I could be a voice for the people. It wasn't all doom and gloom. I'd achieved a half marathon. We'd raise some money and all this sort of thing. So I did this timeline. Again, my family thought I'd gone bonkers. Down came the little pretty picture in the living room and up went a whiteboard. And they're like, what are you doing, Paul? Are you going to get yourself a little job? And I was like, no, I'm doing a timeline of my recovery journey. It's going to help people. And they're like, oh, what is he doing? <laughs> and, I, and I didn't always post it notes all over my house. Um, it took me months to do it because of my poor memory. But I just knew something again inside me, deep inside me, so you've got to do this. And I did. And I published this, this page on Facebook. And people were messaging me saying, will you come and see my mum? Will you come and see my dad? Will you come and see my brother, my sister? So I was actively going out in the community and seeing these people. I was passing on some knowledge, you know, that I'd learned and um, encouraging sort of this healthy sort of lifestyle and, and recovery um, that would help me. And so they said, will you come back? I did start going weekly to people's houses. It quickly became a 24-7 operation. Schools asked me to go in to talk about um, mental health and, and um, anxiety and vulnerability. And I was talking openly on my social media about that because I, I realised just how um, communication was key for me on my own journey and, and, and it, I missed a bit there in between that year one to two when I really was struggling with depression I was reluctant to go and access some support and when I did it changed my life you know I, got, I, I had a psychotherapist and that that was huge for me and, and, and my um, function my performance my whole outlook on life changed but, well, no. we've seen we've seen a huge uh, a huge movement, haven't we? Especially when it comes to to, to men, you know, Tyson Fury, the, the heavyweight champion of the world, you know, boxer, and he's there, you know, sharing his struggles. And I don't even think ten years ago we would have experienced that. Let alone, you know, and that that was that's that's not that long ago. So um, it's it's great that social media can be called. For a number of reasons, but what we are seeing is, is a bit of a movement here, aren't we? Uh, I know you're in, you have some involvement with Andy's Man Club in Hull, and I'm looking at, at getting uh, getting some insight and getting those boys on board as well and on, on the show. Yeah. Um, so no, it's great. And did you did you did you find that that was a real from not wanting help to then being able to share help, uh, the help yeah. that you received and why and the benefits to it that there was a bit of a movement there. Yeah, I just knew how powerful it was for, on my own journey. I wanted to sort of share that. I think once you, you, you sort of woke up to it, and once you, um, you know, got the shackles off and the, the stigma didn't have me anymore, I just thought, you know, this has completely changed my life, and I need to make sure that everybody else knows about it, you know, anyone that wants to listen, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, and people don't need to be afraid, open up, get, get, um, access support. And so I started talking about that on social media. Like you say, there is a big movement, James, and I think it's fantastic, and it continues to grow. And I hope it grows, you know, we look at statistics around male suicide and, it, and it's just tragic, it really is. And so, you know, I'm an advocate of just getting all the support that you need and, and having them open conversations. And Andy's Man Club are, are a massive movement in, in helping with that. Um, and there are great lads as well, Leon and Paul who run it in, in Hull. 
Um, so I was doing this and then, so schools started asking me to go in and, and share my story and, and being open about uh, counselling. And then the Hullabout Infirmary asked me to go in and, and talk to patients and families in air, during early recovery. You know, I, I, was, I was a man, I, I'd, I'd done some good stuff and I, and I was a positive, you know, a, a positive outlook. And they, I, could, I could offer that hope and inspiration to people in early recovery who were like me, who thought, where, where was my life going to go? And so, you know, I was, I was um, more than happy to do that and to, to have that, that positive influence on people. So this quickly became a 24-7 operation. I didn't necessarily have any training in this. You know, I was going to people's houses and sort of sitting with them and talking about recovery, looking back at me, people, it seems a bit dodgy, really. But, um, <laughs> Which is a huge step forward, because it wasn't that long prior that you were sitting and looking out of a window and not being able to go to the corner shop, and then you find yourself in a position where you're in people's homes and talking about your own recovery. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. instilling confidence and being in a, in a position of, of somewhat inspiration to, to many. I mean, you were maxed, weren't you? You were absolutely yeah. maxed at the I really, I really was, and I didn't really have to think about it. I think that was, I was still short on my thinking. You know, my my cognitive deficits hadn't gone away. I just learned to live with 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 them, and I I'd adapted and I'd implemented coping strategies to help me. So even when I was sort of talk, I was very busy in talking to people. I wasn't necessarily thinking deeply into it. I was just doing it. You know, I was just out and about doing what I needed to do, and that and that was it. I was just very focused. Um, and then. Actually, when, when it did start really ramping up, I, t I said to myself, I didn't necessarily realise I'd said this to myself in any recovery, but I had. I will do anything to make this work. Do anything. I'll push myself physically and mentally, to, you know, in any, in, 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 any, in, any uh, stretch. I have to. I'll, I'll do this um, to make it work and, and reach people and help them and help families. And, and I was prepared to. And actually, that has been one of my... Um, one of the biggest game changers for me. I'm still prepared to now. I push myself in situations. I've, I've, I've honestly, I think I am vulnerable to a certain degree with the way I am. But actually, that notion of I'll do anything to make this work. I've been sitting in sort of meetings with solicitors, with marketing meetings. I was sitting, you know, I was on site with the lads. I didn't sit with solicitors. I didn't sit with people in marketing. I didn't sit with nurses and doctors. I didn't sit with neuropsychologists. But I was sitting there and I was just sort of holding on. And sometimes I was just thinking, I have no idea what they're talking about. The lingo on site is very different to the lingo in these talks. <laughs> and I, was just, I was just sitting there thinking, I've not got a clue, I've not got a clue but I just held on. I just held on. And, and, I, and sometimes I was just brave. And, and, and you know, I still I just got to be brave. You just got to sit there, be polite, you know, be, be, be polite and, and, and well-mannered. And, and if you, what you don't know, you get someone later on, one of the people that are in that room and share your, you know, do it in, do it in, a, do it in the right way. Um, well, you created, you even, you've even created, because you touched on um, nutrition for the mind, because yeah. we've been dated online with marketing and advertising on magical shakes that'll detox you, that'll, you know, the, the, the meal plans, all of that, but there seems a real lack, and I, I know this from when you started looking out and it was kid with your recovery, was there's nothing really there that promotes health, you know, healthy minds in terms of nutrition, that, that yeah. something you can purchase. 
And you actually then was like, right, I'm going to create something. I'm going to go down this road. And yeah. I mean, you were you found yourself sitting with like like industry experts yeah. within the food and drink industry, right? And what yeah. is the so give us an insight to that? So you, you literally have a bar on the market, right? That's what yeah, you, yeah, yeah, Brainworks. Well, actually, we're just re, re, we're just um, <laughs> just uh, reformulating our, our products. So that they're going to be relaunching actually. Well, given the, the current situation, probably in autumn now. But there's a drink, there's a Brainworks drink and, and some Brainworks uh, bars, snack bars that are healthy, uh, healthy nutrients for the brain. Um, we're just going back, sorry, I'm, sorry, I know I'm jumping about, but just going back to helping people in the community. We came a 24-7 operation. I'll do anything to make this work. And then what happened was a, a guy contacted me and said, will you come and do some, some sort of talks to people that I'm working with? They're affected by cancer. And, and I said... I work with people with brain injuries. I mean, I work with people with brain injuries, but that's what I, you know, I've come to, I've told myself, which was pretty unbelievable at the time. I said, I know I work with people with brain injuries. I'm supporting these people and trying to help them. Um, and he said, oh, no, but you face adversity. These people have gone through adversity and they're trying to rebuild their lives. You are rebuilding your life in a really healthy way. And so I said, oh, yeah, and I was quite flattered. I said, that's nice of you. You know, if I can have a positive influence on anybody else, I'm more than happy to. And he actually, so he wanted me to go with him to get uh, to secure some funding for these for this what he wanted to do these 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 support groups. And he said you need to come and meet a guy called Neil Udjo with me. So I said all right. So and and I heard the name. Obviously Neil is you know a huge um, businessman, you know successful businessman in, in our city, and, and obviously with Oakingston Rovers. So you know I knew who he was. I said, what, what do you want me to meet Neil for? And he, and he said, oh, well, you know, you, you can say that you're working with me. You're doing some good stuff in the city. It'll be, it'll be good. It'll be good for my bid. So I said, oh, all right then. And, and at the time, if I'm honest, lads, I wasn't going to go. Because I sort of thought, I felt a bit daft. I felt a bit daft. That I thought, well, they, they wouldn't want to meet me. And I wasn't going to go. But, I, I, you know, I, I felt with this guy and I said I would meet him. So I did. I followed it through. I thought, I can't let him down. I'll just sit there and look daft if I have to, sort of thing. And mm -hmm. so, and, and, and I went, and actually I had a great conversation with Neil. Neil is an, is an, amazing, is an amazing man, he really is. He helps so many um, organisations within our community. And I didn't know this at the time necessarily, but I, I went on to. And we had a chat and he says, I'd like you to um, be an ambassador for the, for the firm, for, for Hudgel Solicitors. And... Um, Actually, no, let, let me go back a bit. So what happened was, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, so, 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 so he said that. So he said, I need to be an ambassador for our firm. So I'll follow it through and I'll sort of turn it around. <laughs> ambassador for the firm. So, you know, I was flattered again. And he said, you know, obviously helping people affected by a brain injury, or just solicitors. And I was, you know, it gave me a real self, a real um, feeling of, of um, purposefulness and, and self-worth, which I'd completely lost, lads. I'd lost my career. And there was a lot, a lot of times during recovery where I did feel worthless, inadequate, a burden, all, all these negative things. And there, here was a guy called Neil Joel, very successful man in our city, was asking me to be an ambassador for his, for his um, solicitors. Huge moment. And at this time, I'd, I'd been to see the, 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 uh, the NHS to get some support for what I was doing because more and more people contacted me. I actually thought, well, I, can't, I can't deal with this. How am I going to help all these people? And so, we're obviously going back, quite a brain injury, one every 90 seconds. What does mean that would feel isolated? There's lots of people in our community and around the country that are struggling and families that are struggling. And so, 
I went to see the went to the NHS. Um, I had a, a, a meeting with the, with the commissioners and the chief officer, Emma uh, Latimer, and you know I said I'm, I'm helping people in the community. Can you can you help me? And they said you need to go and get a business plan and come back. So I actually confidently said I will. Walked out and thought I don't even know what a business plan is. <laughs> so, you so know, yes, and, yes, and worry about it later, kind of thing. Yeah, 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 and and I didn't have a clue again how I was going to do it. And then about two weeks later, I got asked to go and see this meet to this meeting with Neil. So I just thought I'll, I'll go away and find the right people that can help me. And when I just chat with Neil and, and he said, oh, "What are you up to? How far are you on with stuff?" And you know this, that, the other. And I said, "I need a business plan for the NHS." And he said, "Yeah, no problems." So, you know, he helped me with that. And Neil actually took me to another level with, with uh, the registering the charity as, it, for, as a UK registered charity. It's, it's hard to do that. Um, there's a lot of charity governance around all that. Obviously, rightly so. It's got to be very transparent, your objectives in place and all that. And Neil helped me with that. Remember, I was an electrician, never had any training with any, any of this. Trustees, a charity governance, charity constitution. What's that? <laughs> you know, public service, or, you know, working with the NHS. There was so much stuff, and, and you know, I'll do anything to, to make this work. Was was up my driver all the time, and actually, I was really lucky. I had Neil helping me, and 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 obviously his his workforce supporting me with with, with that. And I was really fortunate again. Um, one of you know, one of our friends, James Phil Benson. Yep. But this time, while this was going on. I was where I, st I started doing some um, some blogs for with food. Just go back to the food food aspect. My meals and my family inclu including these ingredients in my meals. And I'll always credit with food helping me, you know, nourishing me and, and help making me feel my best. We all know how we feel. If we go out for a weekend and we crap all weekend, you don't feel good, do you? you don't wake up on a Monday. You're not bouncing. You're not ready for it. You're not energized. Mm -hmm. You eat well all weekend. You know, you you feel completely different. You feel different here. You feel different here. You know, food matters, and it matters especially when you're um, and doing the most complex computer on earth is trying to repair, build new neural pathways. You've got to give it some good nutrients to help it along the way. And so I, I was, I, went, I hooked up with a restaurant called Al Porto on Marina. Sadly, it's not there now. It's shut down. This was going back a long time ago, and I was creating healthy meals, and we were we were including brain health ingredients, and we were blogging about it, and. I was, I was, sorry, I forgot where I went then. So, um, so I was blogging. Cleaning about, meals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we're blogging about, so we're blogging about the, blogging about meals. We created a, a recipe book, actually, to give out at Hull Road Infirmary and for people. And then I went to see Phil, because I had this idea about having a business with um, snack bars and drinks. And Phil had obviously had zinc smoothie, didn't he? So that, Which was, he was in business with Simon, Simon Long, who we interviewed on our very first episode, yeah. That's right. So I, I, just, I just emailed Phil randomly. I don't think I necessarily, you know, want like big pals or anything like that. But I was just sort of going out there and I was just contacting people who I thought might help. And, and I think pre-brain injury, I would have been reluctant to do that. Because I would have had this flood of thoughts about why I shouldn't really do that and what will they think of me and this, that, the other. And after brain injury, I didn't have any of those thoughts anymore. <laughs> so I was just doing everything that I needed to do. And I, and I wasn't worried about the consequences. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think, think about it. I don't play myself at harm necessarily, but and that, that has really helped me as well, which I'll go on to talk about. But so I went to see Phil. Phil had spoke about the charity and I was helping there. And he gave me some good ideas with the brain food 
concepts and what, how I could develop that. And he said, who's helping you? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're going to see all these people. You've got a brain injury yourself. You're going to see all these people. So that's going to be difficult for you to manage your, your own mental health. And uh, I said, oh, no, I'm, I was just I'm, I'm prepared to make, do anything to make this work sort of attitude. But Phil could see that I was, I was vulnerable here, you know, and, and this could end up maybe potentially with me obviously bearing my own head out and, and becoming ill. And so Phil introduced me to a lady called Sue Altas. And Sue Altas is um, a, a, an amazing person, very experienced in, in terms of mental health. She's got a, a couple of, a few companies actually, one of them's called Altas Cheshire. She's got Inspire Ignite. She does mental health capacity, you know, capacity assessments. Also, I'm a member of FEO. I know Sue. Worked with Sue on a number of occasions, yeah. And Sue, Sue, Sue said to me at the time, you know, are, we, are, we, are you getting any support? And at the time, I'd been discharged from neurorehabilitation. Um, I'd, I'd, two years under my neuropsychologist, and so I never had any, any sort of support. And Sue, so thankful, and, you know, it's so lovely. She's so kind. She said to me, Come to, I just got my licence back at the time. I had another driving test and I was able to drive. Come to my house in South Cave on a Friday between 12 and 2 and I'll help you. I'll, I'll, I'll just give you some therapy if you, need, if you need it. And we'll also look at your plans with your business plan. It's all right, you're getting this business plan, but what are you going to deliver when you're there and how are you going to do it? And, and I didn't have all the answers. I was just moving forward. I was just, I was just, just sort of like momentum. And, and it was all these people that were helping me informing and shaping what would become proper brain recovery but I couldn't do it alone you know there was no way I could do it alone and um, Sue was a real standout person she's still she's still my mentor today she still helps me and she you know she, she I went down every Friday she spoke to me about trustees what that involved about charity constitution she was just educating me so much and she had my back in terms of my own um, mental health helping me and so, 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 so helping me with that side and obviously Neil helping me. And we went back to the NHS. We, 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 we had the business plan and we opened the first community-based brain recovery centre in our city in 2016. It was phenomenal. I just got back from a stint in, uh, in Asia. I was in Asia over the winter and came back and we helped with the video promotion side of things and it was really it was such a proud moment none more than for, than for yourself really that was it was it was incredible um do you know what 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 i think what feels right to do is we do a second episode um, very soon and we focus then solely on the charity and the product in terms of business because what we've done is we've got an amazing backstory now which will resonate a lot with mental health and we will we'll line you up in the next few days mate, to do the how that how that building of an organisation looks like, and then also in terms of a, pro, a food product range, an actual business off the back of that as well. So I hate to put the brakes on, but I think that lends itself to do a, a, a second episode off the back of this. Yeah. Um, but as we as we've we've looked looked deep into your your incident and, and clearer trauma there. There's a question I've always been interested to, to know, and I've always thought if I ever interviewed you, uh, I would always be curious on asking this. And it's hindsight's a wonderful thing, and your life is so different now off the back of what is uh, a huge tragedy. With this in mind, would you 
if you could, would you go back to that day, you know, looking at, at how life has changed yeah. and all of this positivity that's happened since, yeah. would you, what would you do if you, if you were given, uh, you know, a magic wand? Would you go back and, and change and have that former life? Yeah. And, and without, how did, I'm, I'm very, very yeah, curious. It's funny you should ask me this. I, I, I was, in, I was uh, doing a talk to so 300 students at Mallet Lambert recently. One of the students asked me exactly the same thing. If you could go back, would you walk in that on that day? Would you walk in that pub? And that's it stumped me. Um, <laughs> it did. And I, sort of thought, and I sort of stood there for a second. And it, it's such a, obviously it's very complex question, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, and the answer is, I, I honestly, I, I would never. I would. I, I would dread. I would really dread having to go through the, the really the three years from 2012 to 2015, three years of hell. You know, I did have some fantastic support along the way, but you know, just the, the loss, the tor torture, the torment, the frustration, acceptance, what happened to me, learning about who I was, learning to love myself again. I could talk to you. I mean, we spoke to, for a bit, lads. I could, uh, believe you and me, I could talk to you for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we I think we know that that's yeah. all good. Mate. I, I, that's I, all good. I, dread, I dread I would I would dread I would dread to go through that again. I act joking, and it was it was awful. It really was awful. I would dread to go through that again, but I would I would go through it again. I would walk in that that bar, and I would I would go through that. But uh, what has become and what and how it's helped to the people, you know, and, and, and the charity and the families, and and obviously the. Supporting of and the guiding people affected by acquired brain injury, and actually, in doing that and supporting others, has really enriched my other my own life, and pushed my boundaries. You know, um, in, in, enriched my recovery more than I ever imagined it ever would. Going back to that, I'll do anything to make this work. Enriched my recovery, beyond beyond words. You know, twenty six marathons in now, and and uh, UK Ironman. I've been around the world. I mean, just extraordinary the things I've been doing. I can't even quite believe it. But really, it was it was for wanting to do what's right and make a difference in the community and support other people. With really, there weren't many people talking about acquired brain injury and how it feels, and really to be a voice and 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 to and to give other people a platform now to to, to, to for their voice to be heard. Then yeah, I would I would go through it again. Absolutely for them, definitely. You know, and for and you know for them and for, and for how it's helped me rediscover myself and and, and re actually uh, reinvent myself in a really healthy, healthy and productive productive way. Obviously, and, and my kids have seen me literally from the depths of despair, looking through them, penniless, not having a clue, sort of scratching my head, to becoming this figure, uh, you know, and a healthy um, figure who who is sort of supporting others and, and pushing his own boundaries. To do that, I think that's that should be, and then the kids have said that's a huge influence on their lives. But yeah, the answer is, I'd walk, I'd walk in there. Yeah, I would. I, 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 like I say, I'd dread it. If I'm honest. Inspirational stuff, mate. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to then delving into the business side of things. You know, how to, how do you set up a charity? Yeah. Uh, that process, the team you've you've built around you, and then also going into the business world and 
the network you've got. Recently, yeah, let's let's. Uh, we'll, I look forward to diving into that. But um, where can people find? Is it Paul Paul for BrainRecovery.co.uk? And that's with the number four, not F O U R. Number four. Paul for Brain Recovery. F O R Brain Recovery.co.uk. And there's obviously there's uh, BrainWorksWell.co.uk uh, for the awesome. products, and then obviously people can look at the new new formula that we've got coming soon, um, which is really really exciting. Well, that will lead us on to our next episode where we, where we yes, where we'll delve into the business side of your, uh, your journey. Once you get me going, that's it. I just, you know, I just... We'll get a, to- we'll get a talking stick shipped off. Yeah, you can do we'll... that with me. Yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think so much is, so much is, has gone on. It's, it's difficult to try and um, contain it, you know, or, or, or help people understand in a very short way I just don't, I just oh, no, and, and why 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 should you try and edit it for to for what somebody else might deem appropriate you know you've got you've got such a story and even now it's like it's condensing it so much because there's so many trials and tribulations there and, and huge positives that have, that have come out of, of your journey that you know I think it's almost criminal to to think of what what would resonate with someone else or how long would somebody be up for listening into and all of that and the beauty of this is we'll be taking micro pieces from this and, and putting them out there because there's so many things that you've said that are so inspiring, mate. And this is exactly why I was, was so excited to get you on the show and uh, for others to, to hear um, your journey and how inspiring you as an individual uh, constantly are. So we will have you on again very, very soon in the next few days, mate. We'll do that, delve into the product range, how to build an organisation and charity. Um, which will just instill confidence for many out there because there's a lot of people in a position now where they've lost their income, they've lost the job. This is an opportunity for people to think, right, why don't I start a business like I've always wanted to? Why don't I help people like I've always wanted to? Phil and I looked at what the resources we had and we said, let's start podcasts and talk to people and inspire many as as much as we can. So... With that in mind, thank you for, for joining us today, for, for being an inspiration to many. For the, we, we'll literally resonate with thousands of people who watch and listen to this, uh, this show. And we'll, uh, we'll look forward to having you on the show soon, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thank you very much. Cheers, Phil. Thank you. Paul Spence. Thank you very much, mate. We'll speak soon. Thank you. See you later. Thank you so much for joining us on the Business Lockdown. Please comment, like, share and subscribe to help build our global community. We look forward to seeing you all soon.